0: We have two cases for argument this morning Uh, Ford versus Schnell and the uh, disciplinary action uh, against Boris Gorshin. Uh, We'll take Ford first. Ms. Lawler, you've reserved 10 minutes for rebuttal. You may proceed when you're ready.
1: Good morning, may it please the court. My name is Amy Lawler. I'm an assistant state public defender and I'm representing Antoine Ford in this appeal. When Mr. Ford reached the expiration date of his 36 month sentence and began to serve his five-year consecutive conditional release term, he was not released from prison and was instead incarcerated for two years past his release date due due to the DOC's adoption of a policy that it will not release inmates to a county other than its county of commit if that county does not agree to assign an agent and accept courtesy supervision over that inmate.
2: Council, can you um, tell me where is the authority for um, a county to impose upon the other county if they don't agree to the courtesy supervision?
1: Well, it wouldn't be one county over another. It would be the DOC's decision to where, as to where to supervise that individual. This is, I mean, the fundamental difference between probation and uh, and parole or supervised release and conditional release is that the DOC is the one that's in charge of the supervision, not one individual county. And so the DOC is ultimately in charge of imposing the conditions of release and has the responsibility to decide where an individual will be supervised and what his conditions of release will be. When the DOC makes that determination, it does so under the guidelines uh, imposed by the legislature in 24405. But additionally, Community Corrections Act counties make those decisions under the, the restrictions imposed by 401. Uh, and then that statute requires that Community Corrections Act counties in order to essentially receive the funding and the delegation from the DOC to take on this supervision must comply with the same statutes, regulations, administrative rules and policies that the DOC must also follow in uh, imposing the conditions of release and in supervising people during their supervised and conditional release terms. And that's the fundamental problem here is that the DOC has that obligation to supervise. It has the obligation to set the terms and conditions of release. It has the obligation to decide where people will be supervised. And instead, it it has essentially delegated it to counties that are not in compliance with the law, and the DOC has then disclaimed responsibility, despite the fact that the statute doesn't allow it to do so. The DOC must engage in this supervision. And I think that is the fundamental rub here. As you look at the briefs, and particularly at the respondent's brief, the respondent isn't arguing that what did in particular in this case, or the practices that it's adopted as outlined by the district court's order, they're not arguing that those practices are, adopt, are uh, authorized by any particular statute or administrative rule. Indeed, its witnesses at the evidentiary hearing said that there was no statute or administrative rule authorizing what it was doing. But it continues to ask this court to allow it to engage in these practices that are not authorized by law and allow it to continue to incarcerate people during their mandatory supervision terms in the community, even though the statute requires them to be released and be supervised in the community, and even though the public safety requires that period of supervision and transition in the community. The DOC is not arguing that what it's doing is required by the law or authorized by the law, but it's also not arguing that what it did with Mr. Ford or the practice that it's adopted generally is motivated by public safety or required by public safety or that there are any other compelling public safety purposes to its actions instead it just falls back on the the vague vague references to the doc's authority to do as it will without head-on addressing the fact that the district court's order fully supported by the doc's own witnesses found that what the doc is doing is in violation of the law and, Council,
3: not- when you say they fall back on sort of the broad, vague um, authority they have to do as they will, I mean, when you look at the you know broad scope of statutory authority that the legislature has given uh, the department to um, to handle and to determine conditions of release, that authority is fairly broad. I mean, if you get nothing else out of respondents' brief, it's that. They they cite to us all of the language about how broad that authority is. And so that then leads to what is, you know, what was the district court's authority here to impinge upon that? But I guess I'm asking you to address the, the very broad grant that the legislature has given. And, and we've said as much in, many, in several cases, obviously.
1: Yes, and I think that really goes to the, the point that all of those statutes that do absolutely give the DOC broad authority as to how it carries out the supervision still require that supervision to occur in the community. The DOC hasn't pointed to any statute that says it can simply choose not to supervise during a mandatory supervision term and instead keep that individual incarcerated for the entirety of that release term. And if you look at, I think... The cases of Marlowe and also of Kachina, which are Court of Appeals cases, not this court's cases, but do give kind of the broad overview of what the statute requires the DOC to do and to not do. Uh, you know, 24405 requires the DOC to supervise individuals during their supervising conditional release terms. Uh, Marlowe in particular, rested on its analysis of 244101, 24405, and 24305 to uh, reach the conclusion that the DOC. Does have that obligation to supervise in the community and can't incarcerate someone indefinitely when they have suitable residence available in a, neighbor, in a neighboring county. The uh, administrative rules similarly require uh, the DOC to make those decisions about where and how someone will be supervised. Twenty nine forty thirteen hundred lays out what the DOC's obligations are in that respect, but again, does not authorize the DOC to simply refuse that supervision altogether.
4: Council. Uh- One of the issues in this case is uh, that the uh, uh, defendant is subject to some possible future action which might land him in prison again. Uh, And I'm just wondering, you know, the basis for your relief is of course the great writ habeas corpus. What authority do you cite, do you have for the premise, for, for the possibility that we have authority to act with regard to future incarceration?
1: Well, I think there's there's two issues. One is that the D, the district court's order dealt both with the DOC's past acts and its current conditions of release that it has imposed on Mr. Ford, and when it discussed what the DOC would be doing in the future, it was based both on the current conditions of Mr. Ford's relief release and on the DOC's.
4: And I don't think the court's supposition here is uh, ungrounded or. Um Poorly organized or thought out. I mean, I think the district court might be on to something here. But what I'm asking about is what is our authority to act um, from a habeas corpus standpoint with regard to future events that have not yet occurred?
1: Well, we're not asking the court to impose any sort of injunctive relief, which was, of course, the state's um, invitation to this court. What the district court's order did was say What the DOC did here for two years was unlawful in incarcerating him past his release date. It also said that his current conditions of release were unlawful in the sense that his current conditions of release required him to maintain Hennepin County's courtesy supervision. And so every single day when Mr. Ford wakes up, he wakes up with the understanding that if Hennepin County chooses to rescind that courtesy supervision, he will be returned to prison. And that has affected his ability to participate and successfully complete the program. And so the district court's order requiring the DOC to follow the law, finding that what it has done in the past is unlawful and that it cannot continue this unlawful practice is not some sort of future supposition. It's not an injunction that the DOC must act in a particular way. It says, DOC, you have violated the law you must in the future comply with the law. But that's not an injunctive relief. That's simply an assertion that under the law, what the DOC has done is not allowed and it cannot continue its unlawful practices. That's no different from any other court order uh, holding that a a practice is unlawful and must stop. Uh, And I think this also fundamentally goes to the question of how these appeals must be brought. I mean, these are appeals from quasi-judicial administrative hearing decisions. Uh, This court, well, the Court of Appeals in particular has held and this court has denied review uh, that these appeals must be brought by writ of habeas corpus. And so there must be some vehicle for these individuals to appeal the quasi-judicial administrative hearing decisions that in Mr. Ford's case, kept him incarcerated for two years past his release date. There must be some vehicle by which he can go to the court and say, what the DOC has done here is unauthorized by statute. It's unlawful. The law required me to be supervised in the community, and it hasn't. Court, tell the DOC what to do. And that's what the district court did here. It laid out that you cannot simply indefinitely incarcerate someone past their release date when they have a suitable place to go in the community. That was the rule of law, essentially, that the district court adopted.
0: Counsel, would you be here if the Court of Appeals had not decided Marlowe? I'm trying to figure out how much your argument depends on Marlowe versus the policy or state statute.
1: Well, I think that also kind of hinges on the question of what the DOC would have done. If the District Court, or sorry, if the Court of Appeals hadn't remanded for that additional development of Marlowe, Uh, we likely would have petitioned, and we had lost, we would have petitioned for a review on the issues that we raised, which included uh, the questions related to review hearings and uh, indefinite incarceration, but did not specifically raise the issue of the Community Corrections Act counties. So that particular issue, the uh, refusal to release because, because of this deference to Community Corrections Act counties, would not have been before this court if the the court of appeals hadn't remanded for that issue guess i'm 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 asking a a more broad question i mean let's assume
0: that marlowe didn't exist okay so that's really what i want you to to address if because marlowe isn't an opinion from our court it's from the court of appeals so let's just assume that it doesn't exist then then what's your best argument for why you prevail here
1: the statutes themselves. And Marlowe was nothing more than an analysis of the statute. Marlowe didn't create a duty out of whole cloth. It really did focus on the fact that both the statute under 24405 and the administrative regulations under 2940 require the DOC to supervise people in the community. If the legislature had wanted to make
4: None of those, to put it it another way, none of those statutes make any reference to courtesy supervision or giving CCA counties veto rights about whether or not someone's going to be supervised.
1: They do the opposite, and especially 401 and the administrative rules promulgated pursuant to 401 do require Community Corrections Act counties, if they're going to receive the funding that the DOC gives them to take on the DOC's obligations to supervise, it must follow the same rules as the DOC. Uh, And and that's crucial, the the entire basis of the Community Corrections Act agreement um, from 1973 onward was that if the DOC wants to delegate that authority, essentially subcontract supervision to counties, it can do that, but those counties must follow the same rules. And importantly, between 1973 and then roughly 2005, the DOC did that with no problem. This was not an issue, review hearings weren't a, a problem, they didn't exist in this way. Then from roughly 2005 to 2008 with Marlowe, the DOC was dabbling with these review hearings and following Marlowe, it stopped. And for five years, again, there was this compliance. And it was only recently in the last five years or so that the DOC again began to uh, embrace these review hearings and essentially try out to see what the courts would allow this is not something that's existed for 40 or 50 years. This is not a long-standing practice. This is a recent invention by the DOC. And the lack of uh, rules or statutes authorizing the practice, I think reflects just how recent and just how inventive the DOC has been in adopting this practice. And I think importantly, the DOC doesn't claim that Between 1973 and and 2005, the public safety was in any way endangered or it was impossible or impracticable for the DOC to follow the law, for Community Corrections Act counties to supervise in accordance with the law. And it's similarly not claiming that between 2008 and roughly 2013-14, when it was still following the Marlowe decision, again, it wasn't claiming any sort of impossibility or public safety risk. The DOC has invented this practice. It made it up. And it did so without going through any sort of legislative or rulemaking process, and it did so despite the fact that the law requires individuals to be supervised in the community during their supervising and conditional Counsel, starts. you
5: indicate the DOC has been inventive. Are you attributing a motive, or does the record give us a motive that you're asserting for this inventiveness?
1: No, we are not claiming a motive, uh, and the witnesses on on the stand at the at the evidentiary hearing could not give any answers as to when, how, or why these practices were adopted. They also couldn't give uh, any sort of full record keeping as to how many hearings are held every year, who made the decision to allow them to be held. There was a real absence of memory on those points, but the DOC's two witnesses, particularly Al Godfrey and Rebecca Holmes Larson, did admit that this process is occurring and did admit that there is no statutes authorizing. My my understanding
4: of the record in this case, as opposed to the previous case where we had an argument uh, uh, on other issues, but as to the record in this case, the question of review hearings is not before us. Am I right or wrong
1: about that? I think that you're wrong about that um, because the, the Court of Appeals remand and then the district court's order inherently address the review hearing question just by way of saying, what the DOC has done here is unlawful. You cannot incarcerate people past their release date. So I think implicit in that is that it doesn't matter what process you use or what kind of rubber stamp you try to put on it, this action is not allowed. And so while the district court's order and, and the court of appeals remand did not go into any great length uh, or analysis as to uh, what review hearings uh, do or do not do, what they did hold is that...
4: In fact, in great lengths, I mean, I don't see much of anything in the district court order on the subject of review hearings.
1: Well, what the court order held was that you can't do this. You can't keep people in prison if the CCA county won't.
4: I run. understand. Yeah. That issue's before us. Yes. But the question about the review hearings themselves, whether they're authorized by law, whether they're authorized by rule, all of that, I don't see uh, much in the record on that question.
1: That's true. That it that part of, in the abstract, whether the DOC could ever hold a review hearing for any purpose is, is not part of the record. But any process that would be used to create a veto power for a CCA county and then use that to incarcerate someone for two years past their release date would be unauthorized. And I do think the district court's order addressed that squarely that the DOC simply can't do this. And it wouldn't matter what kind of uh, name or process or veneer of process that were, was placed on this. The DOC cannot incarcerate people past their release dates for years when they have a suitable place to go in the community.
3: Counsel, um, on a kind of a related question, there's, there's some suggestion in respondent's brief, but it's also in the Court of Appeals' uh, 2018 um, decision that possibly the district court uh, went beyond um, its remand. The Court of Appeals' is remand when they said, we want you to look at whether or not or flesh out and give the DLC an opportunity to flesh out whether they 're complying with with uh, Marlowe and, and in the court of appeal 's opinion, they say you know once the the DLC complied with the requirements of Marlowe by releasing Ford to the Alpha House, um, there was no longer a need for the district court to further consider this issue pursuant to Marlowe and I think the state says in their brief and i, I don 't remember the exact words but there's a suggestion that that Judge McBride didn't need to hold this evidentiary hearing. And, of course, this evidentiary hearing is the first that, you know, in all the cases that have come before us, that we actually have a record about those practices coming from the mouths of DOC employees themselves. So it's, it's critical, it seems to me, to, to your case here today. And so I I'm guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that suggestion, or that, that it seems to be kind of underlying um, the record.
1: I agree with that. Uh, And I think it's in two parts, essentially, the the district court's order. The DOC's practices for the two years up until it released Mr. Ford, and then the current terms of supervision. Uh, And I don't think there could be any argument that the district court exceeded its authority in trying to decide whether or not the the DOC had complied with Marlowe during those two years up until the Court of Appeals remand. And that was actually the bulk of the district court's evidentiary hearing was looking at to what the doc had done and hadn't done and the fact that there had been suitable residences throughout that two years that he was not released to the second part of the district court's order uh, again i think focused specifically on the doc's obligations under marlow because it has this obligation to release and supervise to suitable residences and instead what it had done was kind of created this temporary release that initially it didn't even disclose to the district court, in which Mr. Ford would be temporarily released to the first part of the treatment program, but the DOC had announced that it would not consider, continue to supervise him after that date. So that was a current condition of his release, that if he wanted to complete the second half of the treatment program, he had to procure Hennepin County's uh, courtesy supervision. And so again, district, the district court here considered, is that allowed under Marlowe? and found that it was not. And I don't think that either one of those two time period holdings, either those two years or the current conditions of release, ever strayed beyond the question of what the DOC's supervisory obligations are under Marlowe. Marlow was absolutely clear about that.
3: Although I, I think I understand what you're saying, but I, I guess what I'm getting from the Court of Appeals statement and from the state's brief is that none of that needed to be discussed given that Mr. Ford had been um, released almost a, a mootness, and know we're gonna get into that, but you know, yeah. that, that it was moot at that point.
1: Yeah, and I think that that fundamentally first reaches a question of how then are you supposed to ever make the argument that uh, an administrative hearing officer's decision was unlawful? How are you ever supposed to appeal that? For two years, the administrative hearing officers incarcerated Mr. Ford past his release date. Was that lawful or not? That is absolutely a question that needed to be addressed for Mr. Ford for the law of his case, for the DOC's obligations to supervise with respect to him. But of course, those are broader questions that have been raised in the other two cases before this court. Uh, and I think the other kind of you know more pressing issue is that all the district court here did was tell the DOC that it had to supervise with, res- with the confines laid out in Marlowe. The fact that the DOC chose to appeal this and has vigorously argued that uh, the district court's order should be vacated, that it should not be required to supervise under the confines in Marlow. I think really shows how pressing this question is. All the district court said is you've got to keep supervising him while he's in a sex offender treatment program. Uh, as long as he's following the rules, you have to keep supervising him. And the, the, the DOC appealed and said, we don't want to. Why would they have done that if they simply wanted to keep supervising him in the community as required by Marlowe. The fact that it doesn't want to, again, indicates just how pressing and urgent it is for this court to decide, both for Mr. Ford's sake, uh, but as well for the two state cases, Leno and Young, and as well as the general question so about counsel, the DOCCR
2: Counsel, would it make a difference um, in your analysis, maybe or maybe not, and you can tell me, if, if the DOCCR had gone the next step and had pulled funding from the counties that were not willing to do the courtesy supervision?
1: Well, I don't think that the pulling funding is necessarily the piece so much as if it had pulled the funding and then used that funding to actually carry out the supervision itself. Then no, I don't think we would be here. Um, This is obviously a delicate dance when you start to go into questions of funding and how funding is allocated and how the DOC allocates resources and agents. And we're not asking the court to tell the DOC that it has to allocate funding or resources in a particular way, or that it has to either fund or defund CCA counties but we know that the, the DOC is capable of doing it. However they made that arrangement from 1973 to 2005 and again from 2008 to roughly 2013, however they did it, it worked. And so I don't think we need to get into the specifics of how that funding is carried out to know that the DOC is capable of following the law and it's required to follow the law.
6: Is there, is there anything in the record about how this whole several years has affected Mr. Ford?
1: Yes, I think that uh, the district court's order did touch on that and did give credibility to the findings, uh, to the testimony of Mr. Ford that it weighs on him, that he feels like he's being set up to fail, uh, that it has been difficult for him to move on. Of course, he lost two years of his life and then he got out to a treatment program where he's told that no matter how hard you work, his agent tells him this, you're still gonna go back to prison and you're not gonna be able to finish this. I mean, I can't imagine how demoralizing it is to hear that after having already lost the two years of of time in the community. And I think it's also reflected in the fact that one of his, during that two-year time period, he was uh, let out to complete uh, the Renville County Jail Chemical Dependency Treatment Program, and as the reward for successfully completing that program, he was brought back to prison and revoked for failing to find an approved residence in Blue Earth County. So... Yes, I mean, that testimony is there on the record. The district court credited it. Uh, There's no public safety interest served by this, by what the DOC has done. The law doesn't allow the DOC to do what it has done. And and I have yet to hear from the DOC about what possible uh, policy or statutory purpose this has served. All it has done is robbed Mr. Ford of time in the community and endangered the public safety by limiting the amount of supervision time that the legislature believes is required as a, as a term of transition into the community. Now, the, my time is getting close to running out and I did want to briefly address the mootness question uh, because I think that was the key question in, in Lano and much of the Lano argument focused on the mootness issues that were raised in Ford. Uh, And I think what is important here is that first of all, it is not moot to Mr. Ford. Mr. Ford is currently laboring under these conditions of release. And what this court says the DOC can and cannot do uh, will absolutely matter to him. Whether or not the district court's order is enforced or not will make the difference of whether or not he's able to finish out his term of supervision in the community. But even if the DOC or even if this court were to find that it is moot with respect to Mr. Ford, I think there are multiple exceptions to the Mootness Doctrine that do apply here and are particularly uh, reflected in the record in Mr. Ford's case that didn't exist in Mr. Leno's case. The fact that the DOC's witnesses admitted that, that this is a practice that the DOC has adopted, that everyone in the state of Minnesota going through release planning in the prisons is affected by this practice, that they have to go back to their county of commit or procure courtesy supervision from a CCA county. Uh, the fact that this means that there are review hearings that they admitted even just with the numbers at uh, Stillwater and Lionel Lakes run into the hundreds every year. And that's not including all of the hearings held at the other prisons. Uh, this is absolutely a matter of statewide significance. It affects every inmate in the state of Minnesota and it will continue to recur. Council,
5: are you asking not only for a writ but for a declaration as to your client's rights vis-a-vis the program?
1: My time has expired. Uh, no, we are not asking for a writ of that nature. We're asking for the district court's order to be reinstated, the court of appeals to be reversed and the district court's order to be reinstated. We didn't appeal the district court's order. We were happy with it. But in terms of uh, adopting the rule of law, we just ask that you... in reversing the court of appeals and reinstating the district court's order, unequivocally hold that the DOC cannot incarcerate someone during his supervisor conditional release term uh, solely because he is only able to find suitable housing in a county other than his county of commit.
0: Thank you, counsel. Uh, Ms. Kemp.
7: May it please the court counsel, Kelly Kemp, Assistant Attorney General, on behalf of the Commissioner of Corrections. I wanna ask the court to please carefully read the record. The state disagrees strongly with many of the statements made by opposing counsel and argued, um, and part of the appeal uh, was because these findings were clearly erroneous. Uh, There were a lot of things just said at the close of the argument.
3: Like what, counsel? uh, The matters that are outside the record. Give give us
7: some specifics. What what may be the top two? So I ask that you carefully read the testimony of Mr. Godfrey. He explains the broad picture of how the DOC operates, and he's the field services director. So he, um, there's some confusion in terms of what is the DOC versus various parts of the DOC. Some of what Rebecca Holmes Larson was talking about was HRU or hearing officers rather than the DOC. Mr. Godfrey explained the policy and his interpretation of the policy, which included the requirement that any housing be suitable and available. He said that approximately 20 times in the record. The district court completely ignored that. The policy Com- changed. Council,
0: the problem I have though about suitable and available, it seemed like that inquiry, it seemed from the district court's findings that that inquiry wasn't even made. That counties just said, no, we're not going to supervise this person.
7: The, the testimony did not say that counties just say no. Um, Mr. Godfrey said that um, counties um, have, that local control is particularly important, that it was a legislative priority. Um, he explained the reasons for local control, that it's a more efficient use of resources. It also makes the public safer. And so there's all these reasons for local control. And that when there's a dispute that um, if the DOC believes that Um, the words he used were that the county's conclusion was suspect, that there would be a supervisor-to-supervisor inquiry. And that's what he anticipated under the policy. The policy was then changed to include the requirement that it be suitable and available. And by the way, the DOC, uh, in addition to all the broad authority that's discussed in the brief, and that it was the legislature that delegated to the DOC the authority to supervise folks in the community rather than district courts. Um, the, The legislature also exempted the DOC from a lot of requirements that other agencies have under Chapter 14. So they don't have to do formal rulemaking in most circumstances. They don't have contested case hearings. So there's just a lot of that that comes into play.
4: Let's talk about this concept of courtesy supervision. Does that, does that phrase appear in the statute anywhere?
7: No, and it's also not something that's a matter of DOC policy, or it, it's not a real thing. It's something that they've come to, and it, and it doesn't extend to, even though it's, it's stated occasionally in a paper here or there, it's not a, it's not a real status. What, where the DOC uses it, and that's clear in the record, is when There's somebody who's in a temporary treatment program in the metro area.
4: And did it occur here?
7: It occurred here because um, Mr. Ford was placed into a temporary treatment program, not a real residential housing situation. And so the DOC, um, as a matter of courtesy, um, had a DOC agent um, who is assigned to the metro area for other things supervise. I would point out that we asked to supplement the record, which would have had... Uh, some of that information about that fellow actually supervising.
5: Counsel, I'd I'd like to uh, refer you to two paragraphs in in Judge McBride's order of October of 2017 and ask you whether the DOC is contending these findings are clearly erroneous. And I want to refer you to paragraphs 23 and 24. Paragraph 23 says the DOC will not continue to supervise Ford in the post-residential portion of the alpha program. And then paragraph 24 says all indications are that Hennepin County will refuse to supervise Ford. Are those Those, findings clearly erroneous? Yes, they
7: are. There's a great deal of testimony in the record from various individuals that they don't know what's going to happen with Mr. Ford. The hearing happened in, I believe it was July of 2017. He was, I think, four or five months into the program. There was a lot of discussion about, they didn't know if he'd um, even progress in the program, but at the time that he would get out, he'd have to decide where he wanted to live, submit a request, and then it would be reviewed. There were even discussions about potentially um, that um, he could live in another county and be transported to the program. But Hennepin County has never been asked to supervise Mr. Ford. Mr. Ford's own testimony was that he submitted exactly one request. The DOC, the testimony and and the whole record is that the DOC investigated about 70 different things, but Mr. Ford submitted one request. That request was for um, some kind of apartment in um, St. Paul or Ramsey County. There might've been one landlord, two apartments. But that happened, and his testimony was that it happened when he was at the Lionel Lakes Prison, not at Stillwater. There was never a request made to Hennepin County, and Hennepin County never rejected it.
5: Okay. If the findings in paragraphs 23 and 24 were correct, would you agree the case is not moot? That there's a real live controversy between uh, Mr. Ford and and the department?
7: I would still believe that it would be speculative because policies can change day to day. Even if somebody had a, a history with the county and somehow believed that the county would do something, I think, I think an, um, someone who's requesting supervision has to actually apply and have it decided. I, I think that setting aside so many of the um, standards of just regular jurisprudence here are, lead to real danger. The DOC, uh, the record shows the DOC supervises um, that there's about eight or 9,000 folks released a year um, to some sort of supervision, about 1,300 are on ISR. Uh, the fact that there might have been a couple of situations where there have been people who were very hard to place, not just based on their crime, but on their conduct after getting out, um, that does not indicate that there's this sort of substantial noncompliance that would mean that the DOC can attack um, the counsel uh, well, C the council,
3: CCA. that seems to be refuted just by the, 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 the cases that we've seen here at this court. I mean, you. It was Mar- Marl being an example, we've got Lino, um, there's another case that starts with an M that I'm forgetting, but um, that just doesn't seem to hold water to me. So we don't have a record on every
7: case in terms of whether it's a CCA issue or something else. Mr. Godfrey testified that um, he knew of about eight cases that were out of the 1,300 or 9,000 that were more difficult to place. That's not substantial. And and we don't even know if those were CCA counties. Um, So there wouldn't be the sort of substantial noncompliance that would would give the DOC the authority to go and try to take away the funding.
0: Council... Um, what is the purpose of supervised release?
7: It's got a couple of purposes. Obviously, um, from the from the statutes and some of the language and um, in some of the acts, it's clearly to protect the public, to stop, um, cur- you know, to to give uh, offenders to take away access to victim pools, um, general public protection, also though certainly to um, assist uh, the folks getting out of prison into um, coming back into the community, which is why it's so important that there be historical ties. Yeah, but how,
0: a- does, how does, does the, the purpose of helping the offender transition, um, how was that purpose served by what happened to Mr. Ford or what is happening to Mr. Ford? Well, Mr.
7: Ford's been out of prison for about two years. Um, and he's in a, and I, I don't, we, we weren't allowed to supplement the record, so I, I want to be careful, but he's been in a treatment program supervised by the DOC. So, um, but the, it's important that that, that first release uh, be to some place where an offender can be adequately supervised, but also have kind of community support, have access to resources, to jobs, to family, to some sort of support, rather than something like a bed in a, Um, short-term unit that's just going to that
2: is it because in it seems like that's just left up to the offender and if we're taking i mean if i'm just thinking about this logically and common sense wise if you take someone who's been incarcerated and is released to intensive supervised release but they're not given they're just said they're told to go find safe and suitable housing For a a level three offender, that's extremely difficult. But for any felon, that's extremely difficult. And so it seems to me that it's almost um, a setup for failure because they're only given a limited amount of time. And if you are diligently looking for safe and suitable housing and yet everyone rejects you and there's no one else assisting you in that process and then you're revoked and sent back, that doesn't make any sense to me.
7: Well the DOC does have a duty to assist, and it does, and in this case again, there were approximately seven the record reflects about seventy contacts made. I would also remind the court that Mr. Ford got out without incident on his supervised release date, and he went right into the community and it, then he had um, he violated his conditions of release and had the full blown the full blown Morrissey hearing um, to revoke him uh, based on his own conduct so at that point. Um, he has reduced rights it 's not as it 's not the kind of rights you have on your supervised release date or even with revocation
3: but council what what 's your response though to uh, the argument that he had su- suitable um, uh, housing lined up? He had it lined up in Ramsey county, and the only reason that didn 't go through is because ramsey county wasn 't the county of commit they would, they refused to do courtesy supervision, and that seems to me to be replete through the record. He had suitable housing up in Moorhead, and the only reason that didn't go through is because his family um, lived across the river, and there was an agreement with the police department there that 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 wasn't going to be suitable housing. So he had several places of suitable housing, but it all seems to come down to, at the end, who's willing to do courtesy supervision. Am I, no, the record does not
7: reflect that he had available and suitable housing elsewhere. In fact, um, the, the petition, which we all forget about here, the habeas corpus petition and its accompanying memo, Mr. Ford argues that the sole reason he's in prison is because of the Mankato ordinance. So there were mentions of Ramsey County. He did submit something, and there are parts in the record... Interestingly enough, the caseworker that, he, that submitted that request did not testify. A different caseworker testified. And I'll remind you that the petitioner
3: has the burden of proof. But is that true? Is it true that, I mean, what is the, that finding that I think Judge McBride makes? Is that clearly erroneous? It seems to me there was evidence in the record that the only reason the Ramsey County uh, places did not or were not further investigated is because Ramsey County refused courtesy supervision.
7: Well, it, it, it's actually, it, it is clearly erroneous because Exhibit 30 talks with, again, um, where that his case manager, who's the one who presumably actually did investigate this, said that uh, Ramsey County rejected it due to lack of ties and a concentration of level three offenders. And that's where, again, the district court um, incorporated some screenshots that counsel put into the record that were of the wrong thing. There's absolutely no facts that show uh, that, that that was wrong. Ramsey County. Are there uh, any
6: facts that show there was a con- too high a concentration?
7: Well, nobody challenged. I mean, you're the, an
6: abusive, you're, you're trying to clearly erroneous here. So was, did, was there any evidence that the, that there was, there was a concentration of level three offenders that was too high?
7: Yeah. I mean, it's exhibit 30 that the case manager must have, must have talked to the county and reported.
6: So there's one document that just says that, but do you have any evidence that that's actually true?
7: Well, there's also the testimony of the other case manager that uh, it's, it's a little vague, but it says that when um, she checked into it again,
6: Ramsey County's position was the same. A little vague. And then, so the, the first rejection, though, was just on lack of historical ties. No. And then the second rejection was for both. If I'm not I No, it was
7: only submitted once. Well, I have, it, so,
6: I, I have something from the record that says June 29th of 2015, Ramsey was rejected for lack of historical ties. And then April of 2016... Ramsey was dejected for lack of historical ties and concentration yeah, with level
7: neither, defenders. Neither of these um,
6: pieces well, that, of paper, that, neither,
7: neither of these pieces of paper with these notes of a hearing officer are, are like a, a district court um, order or anything like that. They're notes that were taken at the equivalent of a meeting or a, a minor hearing. So the case manager came to both and talked about the same thing, the same request that was made once. So at two different meetings, the person who took the notes wrote it down slightly differently. In one situation saying no ties, and the other saying no ties and level three predatory
6: offenders. So she might have said it at so both. So they wrote it down nine months apart? Talked about the same thing nine months apart? Yeah,
7: they come in and it's like a status conference to talk about why is he still in prison. And they bring in the case, and there's testimony from Mr. Godfrey that this is exactly how it works.
6: And is it, so, is it also, there's also testimony from Mr. Godfrey that he agrees that it's not legitimate I think it's, Mr. Godfrey, that lack of historical ties is right. not a legitimate basis, right? He makes a comment
7: like that earlier in his testimony, and then he clarifies later to talk about why, again, with that local control being important, that that it, it could be legitimate. Basically and the if, local
6: control being, we don't want this person here? That's the public safety reason?
7: No, I mean, the, the, real, the real reason is because Hennepin and Ramsey County Um, don't want to take every sex offender in the state, which was what was happening some time ago. And they need to, they have um, these statutes that require things like, and they're requirements. They can't have a concentration of sex offenders. They have to keep their caseloads under certain control. If Hennepin County and Ramsey County take every sex offender from all over the state, they're not going to have sufficient staff or sufficient places to house their own sex offenders, which will cause more of a problem. Council, I want to
3: bring you back to uh, where Justice Thiessen is. This is paragraphs 16 and 17 of the district court's order, and this is relating to Mr. Godfrey's testimony. Paragraph 16 says, Ramsey County refused to supervise Ford at that time due to his lack of historical ties to Ramsey County and for no other reason. The DOC accepted that refusal, even though, according to Alan Godfrey, the the field services director for the DOC, a lack of historical ties is not a sufficient reason to reject a placement. And what was your, tell me again, what was your response Mr. Godfrey to that? said
7: something like that earlier in his testimony, then he clarified later that, um, that there could be a reason that historical ties, it, it, and it, um, it came about with how if, if the reason might be suspect, then you'd talk supervisor to supervisor and explore. It wasn't as clear as that. He changed his testimony part way through. And the, the court is looking at one of two. So,
4: can it, so I, I'm completely well, confused. I'm just, yeah, I'm so say, so, so it? tell me now, maybe we can figure out what the DOC's position is. Are, is lack of historical ties a reason or not? And is it referenced anywhere in the statute?
7: No, the statute doesn't talk about this. It's the, it's the DOC policies. Um, the, DOC, the statutes say that the commissioner can set any conditions um, that the commissioner deems appropriate.
4: So are our lack of historical ties a reason for denying um release?
7: Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't indicate that there's substantial non-compliance with the CCA. So it certainly is a it it would be a valid reason because again, it's not supposed to be just a temporary location to get somebody out of prison for a month or so because the idea is to get them in a safe and secure place that they're going to be able to continue and that you want historical ties because that would be um, more personal assets that you can lean on, also more opportunities for um, long-term security, for jobs, for I, I family can, support. And I can
6: see why lack of historical ties would support that, but if the alternative is staying in prison, I mean, or, or, or is your argument that lack of historical ties is necessary for public safety. It's would,
7: necessary for public safety, safety, but also for the person to have some long-term interest in staying out of prison. The DOC wants to get people out of prison, but but to stay out of prison, not just to some kind of a, there, there was a period where they would be putting in like a temporary bed, like a halfway house for a little bit of time. Right,
6: so the DOC's position is we're going to keep people in prison because it's better for them instead of being out of position, prison in a community with lack of historical ties.
7: Well, it's not about, it's, it's, it's about that person, but it's also about the entire community and, and long term benefits. Um,
2: Counsel, can I? Let me try to nail this down. As I understand it, so um, there's funding that is uh, given to the counties, and there is some local control. And the, lo- the part of the local control that affected Mr. Ford was his request to Ramsey County. To be able to live there ramsey county declining and one of their reasons cited was that he has no historical ties to ramsey county am I, is that right
7: yes and but also that there was a concentration right. of level and three that there was a offenders. high
2: concentration and right. they can't they like you said they can't neither ramsey nor hennepin could take all of the offenders because then they wouldn't be able to have their own offenders that commit offenses in those counties so it's the county's rejection that it, their reasoning That the DOCCR is accepting that and not pushing it to, um, I think it's, uh, there's some sort of dispute resolution process or removing the funding.
7: Yeah. If the, what Al Godfrey testified to is that if, uh, if it looks like the, the county's reason is suspect, then, it should, then they're usually resolved by going supervisor to supervisor. And that's what they call the dispute resolution. It's not like an arbitration. It's a supervisor to supervisor discussion. And Al Godfrey testified that in most cases that resolved it. He talked about two cases that maybe had to go to the deputy commissioner level, which is where things are decided, not at the HRU.
5: Counsel, earlier I referred you to Paragraphs 23 and 24 of the District Court Opinion um, that said the DOC will not continue to supervise Ford in the post-residential portion of the Alpha Program and that if Hennepin County refuses to supervise, then it will be returned to prison. Do you have authority today to make an affirmative representation that if Hennepin County refuses to supervise, the DOC will continue to supervise Ford? in the post-residential portion of the Alpha program?
7: I don't know what their position would be on that. The testimony at the hearing from a variety of people was that things would have to be decided based on the facts and circumstances at the time.
5: Okay, thank you.
7: I I would again say that um, there was a discussion about the district court's order and the district court's order and the reason that the DOC appealed was that the district court's order went far beyond saying, just comply with a policy, a policy which could change at any time because the DOC doesn't have to do rulemaking in order to change that policy. What the district court said was that Mr. Ford could pick a residence even if it's not suitable I mean, this is because he does. It's not limited to staying in some kind of particular program in Hennepin County. He would get to pick his rest, residence. It wouldn't matter if it's Where suitable. Where does the
3: district court say that? Point it's me in, to the the actual, paragraph.
7: in the actual, in the order itself, it says.
3: Point um, me to that paragraph. It says that when he submits
7: a proposed residence, which could include Alpha House, but it's not Point limited me to that. The,
3: What paragraph are
7: I'm you? I'm sorry. Reading? It's the last page in the order itself. Paragraphs. Um, three, four, five. That when you read those all together, it doesn't limit it to a suitable residence. It doesn't limit it to some sort of place in Hennepin County, and it says that if it is, if the county if the county that receives the request is rejects it for any reason then the DOC will engage in the dispute resolution process. That means supervisors talking to supervisors. But the next part says that if that doesn't work out, then the DOC will provide supervision to Ford in the county, which would mean the DOC would have to supervise him at a place that might not even be remotely. Um, which
3: which one of those paragraphs violate, what rules do the do any of these paragraphs violate? Can you be more specific? Because all I read that to say is DOC has to comply with their own rules and policies
7: it's but it's it's assuming that the, the policy uh, will, will it's assuming that Mr. Ford will want to stay in Hennepin County and it's assuming that the policy is read the way the court had read it um, but again the, the DOC doesn't
0: doesn't this order just say that the DOC has to comply with Marlowe
7: no, because Marlowe actually um, is really nothing. Marlowe's is quite different from this case. Marlowe was about a, a fellow at his initial release from supervised release. And it talked about, um, and it really, it never had any uh, holding regarding what would happen to him in the community. It only talked about whether at his SRD he was entitled to release. And it didn't say that the DOC had to uh, do anything in particular other than reconsider its position. And the facts in that case, I know they sound similar, but they're quite different, um, which is why in Duncan, the, the Duncan Court of Appeals case, the Mandamus case, they distinguished Marlowe, and it's why, I think as you alluded to earlier, um, the Court of Appeals in this case thought Marlowe was satisfied here.
4: Well, back to the question that um, Justice Littlehog raised about fin- uh, uh, findings of Act 23 and 24. Finding 24 specifically references, and I probably have to go back to the transcript to be sure about this, but finding 24 specifically references that Mr. Leck and, and or other DOC agents have told him he will not be allowed to complete the Alpha program for this reason, that Hennepin County will refuse to supervise him. Are, are you saying that statement is not accurate?
7: Right. Mr. Lex said something earlier about not, and there were other people that testified as well, and Mr. Lex, one person, it was, you know, he, he said some other things that um, were less definitive, and then um, it was, if, if this, 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 and this, what would happen, and it's, he might go back to jail. But the sum total of, and Mr. Leck's not the one who would decide it, but um, folks at various points in all the transcripts said that it was something that would have to be determined at the time. They really had no reason to even know if Mr. Ford would progress in the program. A lot of people don't.
2: Are you saying that the district court took those statements without the, and put them in the findings without the context? Yes. Because they did say the this, this statement.
7: Yeah, his statement came. His statement came close to that, but it wasn't. It wasn't. A, he's not the one that makes the decision, and, and everybody else said different things.
2: No, I realize that, but the district court didn't make that up. That was a statement right, made I, by that individual. Right. It's taking
7: all these things are and things that are So
2: um,
0: Isn't that also a determination of credibility? I mean, he's finding that what Mr. Ford told him was credible.
7: I don't. I've, can I finish? Yeah. Um, I don't think it is a finding of credibility. Um, it, and it, it has to do with future contact. It has to do with future um, things when Mr. Lex, not the decision maker.
6: Who, who is the decision maker?
7: Well, it would be the deputy commissioner ultimately.
6: And who is that? I'm not or sure who, who,
7: was who it that, is. I believe, I believe it was Mr. Soulhide at the
0: time. Okay. Thank you, Council. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Ms. Lawler, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal.
4: Let's start with Justice Lillehog's I should really wait for you to get up there before I start picking on you. Sorry about that. Uh, so let's start with Justice Lihog's question about findings 23 and 24. The commissioner says those are clearly erroneous. I suspect you disagree. I'd like to hear why.
1: I do, and I, DFC is really making this for the first time an oral argument. The strident argument that uh, the findings are clearly erroneous uh, when they're not, and It's also a bit late to be arguing that in the first place. But I I would direct you specifically to pages 192 and 193 of the transcript, where this is based on Mr. Ford's testimony about what Mr. Leck and his agents have told him, that he can't go post-res, that he will not be allowed to stay in Hennepin County because Hennepin County will not accept him as a level three. So the district court credited that testimony. That's not a clearly erroneous finding. And this really also fundamentally goes to an invitation that the DOC is asking this court to make to conflate supervision with suitable housing. And if nothing else comes away from this oral argument, this is the key point that these two things are not the same. And the district court's order was focused specifically on supervision, on a county accepting supervision accepting supervision is not the same thing as approving or disapproving a particular residence for suitability or for any other reason the district court's order was focused on the fact that ramsey county categorically refused to accept supervision refused to assign an agent and the doc accepted that refusal without challenge without engaging in the dispute resolution process that Ms. kemp said they're supposed to go to They accepted it without argument at all. So this is not a case where Ramsey County said this place is unsuitable or this place is unsuitable. Ramsey County would not accept supervision, would not assign an agent, period. And that was, also the, again, the issue here with Hennepin County. It's not that Hennepin County thought that Alpha was unsuitable or that any other residents in Hennepin County was unsuitable. It's that Hennepin County would not agree to accept supervision and assign an agent. And so when this goes to the, D- the district court's findings, there are two key factors here, which is that one, the DOC is the one deciding who the agent is going to be. And in Mr. Ford's case, they didn't assign a Ramsey County agent. They didn't assign a Hennepin County agent. They kept assigning him Blue Earth County agents. And the Blue Earth County agents, particularly Ms. Isaacson, kept going to these review hearings and saying, these look fine, but I can't, I can't supervise him in Ramsey County. I'm in Mankato. I can't supervise him from that far away. The DOC made the choice to assign Blue Earth County agents. And The DOC is also not arguing against uh, the district court's findings that based on Ms. Holmes-Larson's own testimony, these hearing officers in these hearings are acting as mere scriveners. They're secretarial, which is exactly the conduct described in Marlowe. And when Ms. Kemp argues that this is wholly unlike Marlowe, it is nearly identical to Marlowe. Mr. Ford reached a mandatory release date. It was mandatory uh, under the Cote-Peterson line of cases to be released at the beginning of his consecutive conditional release term. He was released and brought straight to the Blue Earth County Jail because the DOC had assigned a Blue Earth County agent. And the DOC's, agents from the, the DOC's hearing officers from that point forward said they were powerless to do anything about it because Ramsey would not agree to assign an agent and accept supervision or Hennepin County would not agree to assign an agent and accept supervision. This does not just affect people on ISR, it does not just affect sex offenders. The Dalton case in particular that was brought at the Court of Appeals, this was the one that we tried to bring by writ of certiorari, uh, involved a very narrow group of non-predatory offenders revoked for the first time under the 90 day cap statute. All of those people were held past their release dates and had hearings, review hearings. So this is not about public safety for a very narrow group of very dangerous offenders.
5: Council, um, you heard my dialogue with opposing counsel about whether she had authority to make a commitment that if Hennepin County refused to supervise, the DOC would continue to supervise. Is there anything in the record that suggests, and you're an officer of the court, we expect candor, that if Hennepin County refuses to supervise... The DOC will continue to supervise, rather than revoking and sending your client to prison.
1: We haven't seen that happen. I mean, we're saying Is sitting, there anything in the record? No, and so I don't know. And I think I do think she was being candid and saying that um, I can't guarantee you that we're going to keep supervising him, even if it's suitable. Um, what we're seeing over and over is that, and, and these are the cases reaching this court, that. By giving these counties veto power, if Hennepin County won't agree to accept what it's called uh, courtesy supervision, the DOC will simply then revert to the county of commitment, assign a Blue Earth County agent, as it did here, as the district court found that it did here, and then revoke him for failing to find a residence in Blue Earth County. And I also want to particularly address the question that, uh, or the issue that Ms. Kemp she implied that Mr. Ford had brought this on himself by being revoked before his mandatory release date at the beginning of his conditional release term. The timing of that is is simply untrue. The Mankato City Council passed a city ordinance that prohibited Mr. Ford and and other registering offenders from living in the community during that term that he was in prison. So by the time he reached his release date, It was the city council's action of passing that municipal ordinance that prevented him from living there. And yet the DOC continued to choose to assign a Blue Earth County agent, assign supervision to Blue Earth County rather than anywhere else. And when you look at the question about uh, the rejections, Ms. Kempis,
4: You don't dispute that he was validly revoked?
1: No. Uh, but he's reached his mandatory release date then, just as Mr. Marlowe did in that case. And it was the exact same situation where both of those men couldn't find housing in their county of commitment, found housing in other counties, but the DOC continued to assign an agent, assigned supervision in the county of commitment. And that's really what the district court's order is about. This presumption that supervision should be carried out by the county of commitment uh, even in a case like Mr. Ford's, where he has no family, he has no ties to Blue Earth County, he has nothing there. That isn't an individualized consideration, that he has something going for him in Blue Earth County if they can just get him out there. That is a, a default that the DOC has adopted as a practice. And so when you
4: also... And, it's, and the DOC is, a, is pointing to Blue Earth County because...
1: That was his county of commitment. Right. Uh, and... You know, Ms. Kemp and the DOC have not argued otherwise that, that, um, that the DOC pushed back on Ramsey's County's refusal or uh, pushed back on Hennepin County's refusal. They haven't argued he actually has family or jobs or employment or programming in Blue Earth County. It is the DOC's practice to default as a district court. Founder. Does the
4: statute require uh, focusing on the county of commitment?
1: No. The, D- the statute requires supervision. And it contemplates a statewide supervision scheme. And just also as a, you know, a clarification too, I, for example, in Mr. Lano's case, there was no question that he had deep historical ties to Hennepin County, but Hennepin County continued to reject supervision. What you're seeing in all of these cases is kind of a DOC morphing position that trust us, we are tr- we're doing our best to get these people out even though the one evidentiary hearing we have here shows the DOC defaults to county of commitment and presumptively assigns an agent from the county of commitment. Um, And also as a point,
6: and and just as, as I read their policy, that's not even their policy, right? Isn't that part of the argument here?
1: No, they're not following their policy. They're not following administrative rules and they're not following the law. They're not doing this for a public safety purpose. They're not doing it for Mr. Ford's own benefit. Whatever the, Economic, political, or other considerations that might be weighing into the district, to the DOC's decision making process, and we don't have to decide what those might be. They are not grounded in the law and they're not grounded in public safety. I also want to make one other clarification that um, when the district court made the finding that um, the DOC had refused to assign an agent in Ramsey County and would refuse and had instead defaulted to blue earth. The order at seven references the exhibits, which are the administrative hearing notes and those administrative hearing notes, uh, you know, 28 and then 29 are the ones that specifically deal with Ramsey County and exhibit 28 was the hearing officer's own findings that Ramsey County refused to accept, the courtesy supervision based on lack of historical ties. There was no argument that there was uh, a concentration problem. But then even again, uh, later when the, dis- the reasons for Ramsey County's refusal morphed and they then when they were resubmitted, um, had two reasons for rejection, the historical ties and concentration, the DOC didn't investigate it. They didn't push back. They accept it without dispute resolution without any sort of other part of the process contemplated by the statute or the administrative rules or its own policies. It simply said, okay, we will assign you to an agent in Blue Earth County and we will keep you in prison. Two years past his release date when he had a place to go in the community the entire time. And even now the DOC is still disclaiming its responsibility to continue to supervise Mr. Ford in the community. This is happening every week, it's happening to all sorts of people across the state of Minnesota. It is not an issue of a few hard to place people who've done terrible things or pose a risk to the community. This is a DOC's practice. The district court's findings are entirely supported by the record. The law and the administrative rules do not allow the DOC to do what it's doing. Mr. Ford should not have been held past his release date and the DOC should be required to comply with the district court order.
0: Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. I'll call the second case now in ray petition for.